eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with my co-hosts, Brett Diogardi and Blake Alderman. Guys, uh, I know I shot a podcast on Sunday kind of breaking down my thoughts. So uh, I think fans are kind of well aware of where I stand at this point. But I wanted to get both of your takes on on how things unfolded against South Carolina. I know that we previewed that game and kind of looked at it as a chance for Florida to, to kind of come out and make a statement against what we all thought was a pretty inferior team. And Florida didn't get it done. How surprised were you? I'll start with Brett. How surprised were you by just the performance on Saturday? Uh, I was super surprised, to be honest. Uh, unfortunately, a part of me was thinking, you know, we've lost a couple games. The season hasn't gone how it's, you know, supposed to go. We're on the road. It's still a hostile environment. Like, that's a great stadium atmosphere, too. I was talking to a couple of my old teammates prior, and uh, a couple of us were joking around just talking, like, spreads and stuff. And I told him, he's like, yeah, that's at uh, South Carolina, right? I was like, yeah. And he's like, what time? I'm like, 7.30. He's like, oh, gosh. He's like, we, we might lose that game. And I was like thinking to myself, you know, Oh, no way. And it's it's funny how Blake mentioned, you know, we're looking for a complete game in all three facets for us. And South Carolina basically had that game. And just a couple of the notes, just looking at it, it was pretty, pretty easy to see. It was just complete domination other than third down efficiency for both, te- both teams were pretty bad. But we turned the ball over 64 yards and penalties. South Carolina, who normally averages 60 yards of penalties a game, had one for five yards. And we had a, a quarterback out there that, you know, has not a lot of experience and he was he game managed. They dominated time of possession and it was, you know, every, everything basically went wrong and, and all the areas it could, they ran the ball. Well, they dominated time of possession. They played disciplined football. And that's why, you know, we got a 40 piece dropped on us and lost by 23, but pretty, uh, pretty disappointing to watch for sure. Like where I you for me, it was. I thought for me, it was the most disappointing game in Dan Mullen's career at Florida. Um, I think a lot of people would probably feel the same. You know, yeah, you could probably throw in some of those LSU games where they had a depleted roster. South Carolina, you know, depleted roster or not for LSU, that was just a team that should not have did what they did to Florida. And I thought heading into that game, this was a chance for Florida to make the statement of, you know, the narrative around them being, you know, are you soft? Are you this? Are you that? All that negativity there. And I don't know that it was really – you know, you, you listen to Dan Mullen talk on Monday. He said that there wasn't apathy in the locker room. Guys were ready to play, but you didn't see that on the field. You know, you saw guys out there trying, maybe some younger guys trying a little bit harder than others. You saw the same mistakes for Florida. 
You saw the penalties. Another offense comes against Florida's defense, and they have one of their best games of the season. South Carolina go, goes above average for a lot of you know parts on their offense. It was just a team that should not have done what they did to Florida. And, you know, I don't know that the team quit out there. I just think they flat out just got punched in the mouth and they never recovered. You know, maybe they quit as, you know, things started to pull away. Um, but, you know, I, I thought that was a team that looked soft. Looked soft on the front line, on offense and defense, got pushed around. Um, and it was just a really disappointing loss to see Florida, you know, get beat by that. But a team that had no business, you know, could Florida have lost a close game? I would have thought that Florida would have covered the spread. I know it was 18 whenever we shot the podcast. I think it moved up to 20. I had Florida going above that spread and getting that. Um, but I would have never thought South Carolina would have at least dropped a 40-piece on, on uh, Florida like they did. How much of a factor do you guys think the, the flu was? Because, you know, Dan Mullen said that they, they felt like they had a good week in practice Monday to Friday, and for whatever reason, when they showed up Saturday, it just didn't translate. I, I know from our reporting that, it's not a made up excuse. They really legitimately were battling the flu all week. Um, it, does that translate to some of the, the issues in the trenches, particularly with, you know, conditioning, toughness, that kind of thing? I was told just from a couple of my buddies that it was going around. It wasn't, you know, I don't think it was as high as, you know, 30, 40 people. I know that it definitely was going around in a couple of the position groups, but I don't think that's, you know, something you can really say because, I mean, this time of year, uh, shoot, my five years in Gainesville, I feel like I had the flu at least once a season at some point with between the pollen, whether it's allergies or what. But uh, I don't think it, it's a good enough reason to, you know, provide an excuse for it because like Blake just said, you know, I don't want to call us a soft team, but, you know, in my article that I wrote prior my keys to the game, you know, we have to win the trenches and since that Alabama game, it's just like our, our front seven's kind of just gotten punched in the mouth in the ground game. And, you know, for them to have 284 yards, they didn't really – I mean, the quarterback did well, you know, threw for 175 and two scores, but they didn't really have to throw. And they were able – my main thing was let's make it a one-dimensional team because that's pretty much what they've been all year. Mm -hmm. And you expected them to come out and run the ball, but there was just no resistance. You got two guys going over 100 yards and – South Carolina, like Blake said, it's like it, it's pretty sad because our defense are playing teams that aren't the greatest offensive teams. And they seem to just come out with their best offensive game of the year, especially in the ground game. And that isn't coaching. That isn't. I think that's just straight up effort. And obviously the effort hasn't been there in the front seven and then just in the trenches in general. And since that Alabama game, it's it's I thought it was going to be our identity. That's why I was surprised going into it. I was like, wow, this is going to be a great year. The guys are dominating up front. And teams are be, being able to run at us like easily the past few games. And I just didn't expect that. So that's a disappointing for me is the front seven. Well, obviously it was disappointing for Dan Mullen too. And uh, he talked to us yesterday uh, for those that don't know, uh, I don't know how you could not know at this point, but Dan Mullen has made the decision to uh, part ways with Todd Grantham and John Hevesy immediately. He said that this was a move that he had been kind of thinking about for a couple of weeks. It had been weighing on him kind of had hoped to get through the season, I think, before making these changes. You know, these guys are in the final year of their contracts anyway. Um, so from that end, you know, it doesn't really cost Florida anything to do this. But I think Saturday was kind of a stark realization that whatever we're doing is clearly not working. Blake, uh, let me go to you first. What, what, I guess, was your initial reaction to these two moves? Well, for me, just covering recruiting, you know, I think that John Hevesy – you can say, you know, the, the run blocking hasn't really caught 
caught up to par for Florida for most of you know the time they've been there. Um, I think the pass blocking was good last year. So there are some things on the field that you know Florida has has done good job at. But from recruiting, I mean, you look back to the start of he's been there. You know, he's not really been known as a recruiter. I, I think you can get away with some of those developmental guys at Mississippi State, a school you know that doesn't have the expectations that Florida has. You know, but whenever you're playing, you know, for a team like Florida, that's going to you know the, the vision is to compete for SEC championships. Um, is to compete for national championships. It's to win the East. You know that the the recruiting that Hevesy has done has not matched up to what the expectations are. And whenever you look at you know a team like Alabama. Or Alabama you know, that you would normally meet in the SEC championship game, a team like Georgia that has five stars all across their defense. The developmental stage isn't going to work. You need some of those guys that, it, it, like I always say, it's easier to develop a high four-star or a five-star guy into a really good player than have to develop some of those three-star guys, you know, that just really weren't catching up. You know, you look in the guys that are ranked in the thousands, you know, that's just not something that Florida should have to deal with on the recruiting trail. So I think from that aspect, you know, you, you should find a, an easy upgrade, you know, you would think at least from just someone who's going to come in and, and really compete and have the the relationship building have the uh, the personality that really is something that I think he lacked there from the recruiting trail. And I think for, for Grantham, I think this is something that came a year too late. You know, I think whenever you look at last year, um, you look at the struggles, historically struggling on defense, I think that, that was probably the move there. And I think that's where Coach Mullen has caught a lot of flack because he really did tie his wagon to Coach Grantham whenever a lot of people were really expecting that move to happen last year. Um, so, you know, I think that when you look at the struggles on defense the last couple of weeks, it seems like this is something that's been building. But for me, I think it's a year too late. Yeah, and I know the the um, the kind of thought process to some degree, at least it, what Dan Mullen expressed publicly, was that you know the numbers may have been skewed a little bit defensively last year because the offense was so good with Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony, and I can kind of understand that. I think that's where loyalty maybe be you know played a little bit too big of a role there in in maybe not making that decision last year um, when things went wrong. But Blake, you said a word in there, personality, that I wanted to kind of explore because I think that's an area where Brett can maybe shed some light on, you know, how both of these guys um, were viewed by players, how, you know, I guess the coaches' room kind of interact, that kind of thing. Brett, what is your take in terms of the chemistry of the coaching staff and, and how things were going? So, one, it's funny, you know, I think a Hevesy and – He's, uh, he's not a big teddy bear, that, to say the least. You know, he, he's uh, the one thing that I, I, I personally think between the three is why it didn't work out together is just a lot of egos, like a lot of butting heads, a lot of alpha males in that coaching staff. And it's tough when you got, you know, Hevesy with his players, like I, I wrote on the on the board yesterday, just a lot of his mechanisms and stuff just weren't taken well from players the way like he coached and the way that he I mean, I don't it's think, that unless, um, yeah, unless you want to blur out, you know, about 10 of the words I'm going to say, but stuff I just heard during practice and stuff is just like, I understand wanting to, you know, light a fire under someone, but especially younger guys, when you're trying to develop people, a lot of guys will shut down, unfortunately, you know, with today's recruits and stuff. And so what Blake was saying, I think Hevesy being gone is the best thing that could have happened for the offensive line and recruiting. Without a doubt. I mean, even a couple some of my best friends on the team were offensive linemen uh, my year and guys like Stone Forsyth and Brett Heggie. You get rid of those guys during our 2020 season. Let's say, you know, one, you know how college football goes. Those two guys go down. It's like, oh, my, you know, what kind of depth do we have? And you kind of think that, you know, recruiting classes that Hevesy had since he's been there have been, you know, not the most dominant, to say the least. And 
just uh, from what I heard from, you know, former teammates too, they just said that in that group, it was always, you know, a lack of talent. And just like Blake said, it's hard to develop when you got three-star guys, obviously a five-star, you can make a couple of fixes, but it's like, when you don't have the actual talent there, there's only so much you can do coaching wise. And um, no, I just think there were big egos. I, I liked Grantham on a personal scale. Not many DCs, you know, talk to your long snapper and stuff like that. Hevesy, he had something out for the for the specialists. That's for sure. He was not a not a huge fan of us. But uh, in general, I just think it's a lot of egos, and it's tough when you got people butting heads instead of everyone being on the same page. And personality issues with Hevesy were definitely a, a concern for me. Just not a lot of guys that I played with enjoyed playing for him. So in general there and then on top, you know, when you're recruiting, he's not, you know, buddy, buddy, go up to people and talk to them like, hey, you know, we want you to come be here. He kind of just kept that same demeanor even in recruiting. And that's, you know, a reason why he didn't have that many, you know, dominating classes during his time at Florida. And I, I'll say this about John Hevesy. I think that he's a very good technical coach. Like I think very when good. it comes to technique in terms of hand placement, landmarks, uh, getting the line to understand what everybody's job is so that they're really working cohesively. I think he's great at all that. Now, like you said, you know, it takes a certain personality almost to be able to play for Hevesy because he's going to be after you hard. I mean, he is the epitome yeah. of quote unquote, the old school football coach. And I think when things are going well and you're winning that kind of style you know, while it may rub guys the wrong way, doesn't usually boil over when you're winning. And I think what happens is, and maybe this is kind of partly what we talked about, you know, last episode when you were on Brett of at this point, there's not, you're not playing for championships, right? You're, you're playing really for just pride, the name on the back of your Jersey, you know, Florida. And when that happens and there are guys that maybe not, maybe don't take that type of coaching well in the first place, yeah, you start yeah. to have guys check out. No, I, I agree completely. And honestly, I think in a year like this year where we know we're not going to the CC championship, we know it was an underwhelming year. I think the most important thing right now is building that relationship because guys will shut down. Like my four and seven year guys shut down. There was, you know, players weren't really listening to the coaching staff. Guys were doing their own thing. Basically, I think the most important thing right now is to make it like a cohesive unit and have those guys. Like I think Christian Robinson getting promoted up for D.C., I'm not saying he's going to, you know, change everything. There's only three games left and he's got a lot of talent from, you know, pre his not really all of his own recruiting classes, you know, it's Grantham stuff and he was a linebackers coach, but in general, I personally can say, and I feel like 99% of the people I played with will agree that uh, Robinson relates to the players best, uh, better than anyone on the staff. He's the best in recruiting and I mean, if there was one coach that I had to, you know, tell something important, like I had a family issue going on or something like to that extent, he's the one guy I'm going to because he's the most genuine on the staff and on the board. It's funny, you know, some of these people were saying some comments like I heard some rumors that, you know, uh, C. Rob had some ideas that were shut down. I wouldn't I wouldn't go and say that that's wrong. I think, he, you know, he has some ideas. But when you have those egos that, you know, the alpha male guys like. Grantham and Hevesy, they don't take a whole lot of, you know, coaching from other people, you know, they're, you know, I'm sticking to my, my guns, what I say goes and stuff like that. So I'm excited to see uh, what C Rob can do. I know there's only three games left and it's not against, you know, a, a ton of great talent, but I think he could be a great replacement. Yeah. I think, I, I don't know about uh, as far as, you know, how it ends up playing out this year in these final three games, but I think both Blake and I would agree. Christian Robinson is just an awesome person. 
and sure. that people you, you can't fake that people pick up on that and so I do think you're going to see guys play harder on that side of the ball going forward but I do want to talk about that about how these changes can can potentially have an impact on the team in these final three games let's take a quick ad break and we'll come right back on the other side talking about what these changes can do the rest of the year Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Brett Diogardi and Blake Alderman. Guys, we were talking about these staff changes that Dan Mullen has made with three games left in the season. And I think it's clear at this point that whatever Florida was doing this season as far as staff, as far as chemistry, probably just wasn't working. A lot of people have, have kind of talked about Brian Johnson's departure. And I think that's probably something that's not being talked about quite enough. I think Brian Johnson had a lot to do with Florida's success last year, both from a play calling standpoint and from kind of an overall team morale chemistry standpoint, because I think he was very well liked on the team. Brett, I want to get your take on how big a loss that was for Florida when he ended up going to the Philadelphia Eagles this offseason. because uh, to my eye, Brian Johnson, the fact that he was promoted to offensive coordinator over what Dan Mullen had gone with for a long time and kind of that dual system with Hevesy and Gonzalez to me said a lot about Brian Johnson as a coach and, 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 him being a guy that Dan Mullen really respected. For sure. Yeah. I think he was the glue that held everything together with, you know, some of the stuff going on between, you know, Hevesy and Mullen. Uh, I think he was just an offensive mastermind too. And the thing that was super nice, you know, Felipe, Trask, Emery, all of those guys would say firsthand, you know, like they loved playing for him. He could relate to his players. And uh, offensively, like I said, I'm a huge fan of, uh, you know, on the defensive side, Robinson, Coach Robinson, but I'd say my favorite offensive coach and almost everyone's favorite offensive coach during their time last year would have been Brian Johnson. And he's just a great guy that can relate to his players and a great, you know, just a great coach in general. There's, you know, you think of all those, you know, facets that make up a great coach, you know, he's great with recruiting. He can relate to players. He's great with schemes, X's and O's and stuff. I, I think him leaving was a huge loss. As soon as he left, our offense, you know, immediately got worse. Like, how was how was Brian Johnson on the recruiting trail? I mean, 
it, obviously he's, you know, a guy that a lot of people spoke fondly of, but what's the impact that, that happened there? Because obviously Florida's class has taken a step back this cycle. Right. You know, I think that, you know, I think Brett had a lot of points on the head, um, you know, really relatable. I think he really related to a lot of guys. You know, I think he was someone that was just really easy to talk to. And I think that's something that he and Christian Robinson both share. It's just they're really easy people to talk to along from relating to guys. They, they're just really good conversationalists. You know, they, they, they if things just it doesn't seem fake. It just seems very smooth when you're talking to those guys. And I think what says a lot to me about Brian Johnson as a recruiter is that Dan Mullen was willing to put a guy that doesn't have a ton of ties to Dade County, to South Florida, put him in Miami. And I think that speaks a lot to him as what he thought of him as a recruiter and what he is as a recruiter, because you have to be a dog to be down there in Dade County to recruit some of those guys. And yes, there are some battles he didn't win. You know, that's hard to go against Alabama's. It's hard to go against the Georgia's and all the other teams that do a good job down there. But I think that says a lot of his recruiting, just the way people think of him as a recruiter to stick him down there in Dade County. Like I wanted to talk to you about recruiting since these two moves were made, because it sounds like, uh, and again, I know that you follow this a lot closer. That's why I'm asking you. It sounds like there's actually been some positive reaction, particularly from defensive recruits. Is that a case? Well, first off, is that the case? And then second off, if that is the case, how much of that do you attribute to kind of maybe not having uncertainty anymore versus did, did some of these recruits actually not necessarily like Grantham's system? You know, I don't know that they didn't like Grantham's system. I just think they saw the struggles in general. And whenever the noise starts getting the system, you give a kids questions, you know, what's going to happen. Is he going to be here? Is he not going to be there? But you also open the door for other schools to negatively recruit. you. You can say, well, man, look, Florida's defense isn't very good. You know, come here. We're doing this. We're doing that. So I think that you open the door there. I don't know that it's a positive. I, I can't say that it's not, it's, it's not a negative. I guess that's what I can say, because I think, Yes, there are no negatives because I think Grantham being a coordinator didn't have a lot of connections to guys. You don't really see coordinators go out and they're big recruiters. Not all not, you know, it's not always like that. But I think for him, he was just a guy that was very much focused on the X's and O's and the game planning part Had his recruiting area. Yes, he landed some guys. Buck position was really his type of you know position there. Look at Florida this year. They have no buck commitments, not saying they haven't landed any guys in the past. But I think this year he really didn't have a lot of relationships to guys. Um, so while I don't know that there's positives, because I think in general, you leave kids with questions of what's going to happen with a replacement. Who's it going to be? Is the system going to change? You start to bring in questions there. And I think a second part of that, the questions bring is, you know, is a new defensive coordinator going to come in and bring in new new parts of their assistant coaching staff? You know, I had a guy, Chris McClellan, a four star defensive lineman. Um, who mentioned that, you know, while he's still interested in Florida and the loss of Grantham doesn't negatively reflect his recruitment, um, he is wondering, you know, is a new guy going to come in and change things up with a David Turner, who he does have a good relationship with? So I think those questions could be brought in as a negative, but I think overall you're not seeing any guys that are saying, oh, well, Todd Grantham's gone, Florida's out for me. So I think that's a positive, I guess, if you wanted to put it that way. Um, But I do think there are a lot of guys that are waiting to see what's happening I know Dan Mullen has been on the phone with a lot of these guys, you know, talking to him about, you know, wanting to have a guy in place before the early signing period, which is coming up there in December. Um, you know, obviously, you know, they're in season right now. And I know that's something that we'll get into later talking about Coach Mullen's comments from his press conference. But, I, you know, it's, it's a smart move to get a guy in there before the early signing period. And that early signing period does move up a lot of the transitions and things that go on whenever the season ends. So, um, you know, overall, I can't say there's any positives. Um, because again, those questions there, but I think the best part of that is there aren't any negatives. You're not seeing any guys that are, you know, ship sailed on Florida because they lost their defensive coordinator. And I think that speaks a lot to the assistant coaches that have done a good job building those relationships. 
I think that's a great uh, point that you make about the buck position because I feel like that's been like the identity of the Gator defense when you got guys like, you know, Brent Cox this year and stuff, but you think about like the John Grenards, you think of the uh, Zuniga type guys, like those dominant DN slash buck type positions. Like that's like the main staple of that defense. So that's uh that's a great point. I think you brought up too. And yet he hasn't sold anyone on it this cycle. So I know. And it's open it. now. I mean, Jeremiah Moon will be out of here after this year and, I don't know, a lot of position openings for sure. So, well, I will say if you're looking for a positive out of that, I think a lot of Florida fans, and again, I, I don't always know if the fans are right, but in this case, I happen to agree with them. I, I think Florida's system defensively is has put the defense in a tough spot in some ways. Um, I think the recruitment of a lot of those kind of hybrid buck types, um, and you see it even too with kind of guys that, that roam between safety star, maybe outside or, or linebacker, you know, that money spot. Um, to me, the, the recruiting of so many hybrid guys has been a little bit of an issue. And, and you see that with guys, you know, like Mahmoud, who, who is clearly an, an awesome athlete, uh, super high IQ football player. But to me, he's not, a, he's not a true linebacker. I mean, he's the guy that, you know, as a true freshman was racking up three sacks in a game against Vanderbilt. That's his strength. And I, I thought, I've, I've said for a while, I thought the, the desire to be so multiple or so versatile you know, that, that offenses never know where your, your pressure packages are coming from in some ways was almost detrimental to Florida because you didn't get guys that, you know, grew up playing the position at linebacker all the time where they have the instincts to be able to stick their head, you know, fill their gaps and take on linemen and push through them. So it'll be interesting. I I think that not having, you know, a fully loaded up class here in some ways, that's, that's not a positive in some ways you do give the next guy that comes in the chance to say, Hey, these are the key things that we need personnel wise. And then you can really prioritize that and you have the spots in your class to be able to fill them. Let's uh, let's talk about Dan Mullen. Um, I, we've talked about, you know, the, the changes in these hirings. I, I want to talk about Dan Mullen's demeanor and where he's at, because I, I said after the Georgia game, when he had his post game press conference and he talked for about 22 minutes that I thought that was the first time that we really started to hear Dan Mullen kind of take some accountability publicly and, and really, I thought it was the tone and the tenor that the program needed after that game. There's, there's a couple ways I look at this. One, Dan Mullen has said that, you know, these things were weighing on him as far as the staff. Brett's talked about some of the tension that was there between John Hevesy and Dan Mullen. So the, these are obviously things that were kind of built up for a while. And in that sense, I think you can make a case for Dan Mullen that, that he was ready to, to, to make the hard choices here. Maybe it was a little too late. But that's neither here nor there. Brett, what is your stance on kind of where Dan Mullen is at right now? What he said Monday as far as what needs to happen going forward? Well, I think he knows what his situation is now. He's gotten rid of, you know, the two guys that a lot of fans wanted him to get rid of. And now it's it's his position. He's got to fill those needs. I think he's got I still think he's got a, a good leash on him. I, I don't think anything will be made of this season with these three remaining games. You got, you know, Mike, I, I forgot how to pronounce his last name, but the, who got promoted to the offensive line coach doesn't have a ton of actual offensive line coaching experience. And then you got C Rob, who's, you know, going to be a first time DC. So it, these next three games won't say a huge, you know, ton about Mullins tenure with Florida, but now, He's gotten, he's addressed the issues. He's gotten rid of those guys that maybe, well, as we all know, should have been let go a little earlier than they they were. So now it's really his demeanor basically is to try to figure out what he can do to save this program 
And these three games will be, you know, telling to see how the players play. But now, as soon as season ends, or even right now, got to get really into recruiting, really start diving deep into who he likes to come fill those voids of those two spots for him. But now it's like all the talking's done now. Now it's like, you know, he's got to go out and, and fix this program. So I think he's got to have the right demeanor about it. Like, you know, the past is the past, and we got to have a short-term memory. Like, Grantham's gone, Hevesy's gone. It was a down year, but now we got to turn things around because, you know, this Florida fan base, we come out and, you know, have a losing record to start the year next year. If we're, you know, four-loss team, then that might be the end of his tenure with Florida. So I think he's got a huge sense of urgency, and he knows recruiting and getting two guys if, you know, they don't go with Robinson at the D.C. position. Like, getting those next two guys got to be great recruiters, and I – Agree with what you said. I think the defense was way too complex. At the end of the day, you know, you can't be forcing people to play certain positions. Like I think Mahmoud would be a phenomenal edge rusher and stuff. So getting a guy that has, you know, a simple scheme that players are going to want to come play for, but also great recruiters, which is going to be huge for him the rest of the season with recruiting. Blake, did it change anything for you listening to Mullen yesterday? No, I don't think so. You know, I think the boat's still getting on water. You know, I think that he knows that he had kind of tied his wagon to some of those guys that, you know, really weren't putting things up to par. It didn't really change anything for me. I still think you have to see how things play out the rest of the season, um, see, you know, how the replacements are going to be there, because I think a lot of, uh, you know, the change from Torrey and Gray last year, you know, I think that that was one where, you know, you had you had some guys that were doing, you know, doing a good job, that were good recruiters, that you kind of let things go off for Todd Grantham to have another year there. So I'm really kind of seeing where things go. Um, you know, with these replacements, how things finish out the rest of the season. Um, I don't know that it's really changed anything for me because I still think that next year is a make or break season for him. You know, I think we'll see again how the season finishes up and plays out. But, um, you know, I, I think I'm still kind of in the same position that I've been in. Yeah, I was pretty clear on, on Sunday's podcast about my stance. So I'm, I'm not going to recap any of that. I, I think for me, I, lo- I loved what Dan Wallen said Monday. I do. I did. I, I, thought, I did like what he said. I thought it was the necessary kind of tone that he needed to strike as the leader of the program saying, Hey, you know, I don't even have all the answers right now, but you know, we're going to work to fix it. These decisions that I made to part ways with these two guys that were friends, longtime assistants, that wasn't easy, but those are the kind of steps that you have to take when you're the CEO and make those hard decisions. And I don't think those are going to be the last staff changes. You know, I talked about on the podcast, six current assistant coaches and two of them are now gone. Six of them, their deals were up after this year. I, I would not expect all of them to be gone. You know, I think David Turner is a guy that Brett mentioned, I think has done a really good job. Uh, I, I would imagine that he'll be back. Um, some of the other guys, you know, Florida's had a lot of special teams issues. I, I don't think the staff changes are done. I think those two were the ones where you had to do something different because if it kept going down the way that it was against South Carolina, Dan Mullen wasn't going to pull out of this thing. And so I I give Dan Mullen a lot of credit for making those moves, whether or not they were too late. I do think they were the right moves. And now I think to Blake's point, it's let's see who they plug in. Let's see how it works. But more importantly than that, probably the team has to respond well, right? The team has to go out there and show, Hey, you know, we didn't show up last week against South Carolina, but we do legitimately have Dan Mullen's back and here's how we're going to prove it to you. And unless that happens, I think we're kind of just stringing out the, you know, the, the line here, but um, that's why they play the games, man. That's, that's why they show up. Uh, either of you guys have anything else to add here before we sign off? Yeah. You know, I actually thought that, you know, some of the things that stuck out to me from what Mullen said, you know, I think again, you know, the kind of the humility he had in there saying that, you know, a lot of those things fall on him. 
I think you've seen, you know, after games, you know, blaming the crowd against Texas A&M last year, you know, kind of the comments that he made there, um, you know, blowing up, you know, against the Missouri coach last year. You know, there's just been little things like that to where there even earlier this year to where, you know, did you get out coached by Kentucky? No, we had more yards than I think you're seeing a lot of those deflection type of things. And it was good to see some accountability there. Um, I also think it was good, and I don't know if it was scripted to be in such a way, but I don't even remember the question, but it was, um, you know, asking about competing the rest of the year. And, you know, he had mentioned that, you know, if you're not going to be here and be a competitor, why are you here? And I think those were a lot of the shades of things that Coach Mullen has said in press conferences. You know, that I'm going to thumb wrestle you and I'm going to kick your ass. I'm going to run stadiums. I'm going to kick your ass. Those types of things. I think he was starting to get back to some of those things that a lot of fans had wanted to hear from him. So I think that was probably the biggest takeaway for me was kind of bringing back some of the, you know, old Dan Mullen type of comments from him yeah when we went four and seven just a quick thing I want to say when we went four and seven my redshirt uh freshman year when we you know lost that staff obviously the whole locker room a lot of players you know lost interest and the we're going against coaches and stuff and when Mullen came in like I said on the I think the first podcast I did Mullen did a great job of instilling the standard instilling accountability discipline you know all those type of things but and you know between yeah a COVID year didn't help but my senior year, it seemed like we kind of lost that discipline, that accountability, and especially this year. So now it'll be interesting because it can go one of two ways. Now that, you know, season's ending, it's not been a great year. You know, you can lose your team. So now it'll be important to see if he can reestablish that. Because if he can and if he can get two, you know, great options at offensive line and, and D.C., I think he can turn the program back to where it was at. But it'll be interesting to see if he, you know, instills that standard again. So I'm looking forward and, to And that's, that's ultimately, I think, what it boils down to is – you can, you know, you can look great, sound great. You can look terrible, sound terrible in a press conference. End of the day, that doesn't matter, man. Like, Florida fans didn't care that Dan Mullen was, you know, ribbon Kirby Smart over Justin Fields. Like, those things don't matter. When you're winning, sometimes fans even eat those things up. Oh, yeah. it, it's only once, you, you know, the results start not following that those things start to rub fans the wrong way. And I, I think ultimately, like I said, I loved what Dan Mullen said yesterday. And I think the fact that he, you know, even if he was pressured to do it from the administration, the fact that they made those two changes when they did, I think shows a level of, hey, what we were doing wasn't working. We need to fix it. Now, you know, I've been pretty clear. I think because the program has snowballed to where it is at four and five and where the fans are, it's going to be tough to pull out of this. I don't think it's impossible at all, but the way you pull out is action. And that's what, that's what I think everybody needs to be focused on. It's okay. Dan Mullins made some staff changes. He's probably going to make one or two more here uh, at the end of the season. And then you get your guys in and what you really need to see is you need to see the team respond. And so I think that's what we're going to be looking for Saturday, but we'll get a chance to preview all that on Thursday as we look ahead to the Sanford game and kind of get a little bit better pulse too as we speak to a few more players on Wednesday. So that'll do it for today's episode of the Swamp 24-7 podcast, guys. We appreciate you tuning in. We will be back Thursday reviewing the weekend. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better 
because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 